the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson coming off of a loaded weekend of spring games. We've got really just one left, and then we can start to take stock and go through the post-spring part of our college football analysis. There will be a post-spring top 25 from CBSSports.com for us to dissect, and we'll get to review in ways that are a little bit deeper than some of our spring game recaps. Uh, Some of those questions that we had in spring gleaning, did we feel like they were answered? And and how has our confidence changed for some of the top teams in college football? All of that coming ahead in May. But first, it is NFL Draft Week. Uh, We are going to be hitting you with an NFL Draft preview, a reaction show on Thursday night. And then when we cycle back the Monday after the draft, we're going to tell you what third round pick should have gone in the second round, what fifth round pick is going to end up landing in the best spot because we know these guys better than anybody else uh before we dive into these spring games if you throw a no hitter in seven innings does it count why i mean that's what we're yelling about today right isn't that the sports yell topic that's that's the yell topic i'll just say this if if it counts as a shutout if it counts as a complete game if it counts as every single other thing then it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense that it doesn't count as a no-hitter. But I do think that there is a difference, obviously, between a seven-inning and a nine-inning no-hitter. So I, I, I see both sides of it. I think that what we need is instead of yelling at each other, we need to come together and come to a compromise and figure out what we could call a seven-inning no-hitter. Because if these seven-inning double-headers are here to stay, this is something we're going to have to come across again, and we need to figure it out. I'm scrambling to figure out a name. A shorty? Like the short six. Si- <laughs> <Yes. laughs> I'm trying to think out because you could be onto something. You could like coin a phrase and a non hitter. <laughs> non hitter? Okay. A, a seven hitless? Yeah, seven. Yeah, he had he had uh seven like, hitless. Do you it's differentiate impressive. between somebody who like it, it, it's not better than somebody who goes seven innings in a nine inning game and doesn't give up any hits? What about it's the same performance? Okay, uh, do you count a hole in one on a par three course, and or do you differentiate and say that if you want to count your hole in, I, I don't have any hole in ones, so I can't speak to this. But I think that if we're going to hold the, uh, you know, the same t- sort of integrity of the honor, you know, I, I think that a hole in one probably needs to be in the midst of 
I'm not going to require 18 holes, but it needs to require like, you know, you're bouncing between just got off the green at the par five, step into the par three. When you just get the par three, just one after the other, that's like batting practice. I, I might put an asterisk on the hole in one if it happened on a par three course. Yeah, or I shot 59 but it was on 16 holes. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Count. There has, it's definitely different. There has to be a differentiator. You can't just say congrats on the no-hitter. I don't think it goes up there in the history books as a no-hitter, but there should be a special segment of it, especially if we're going to do these double-headers that are only seven innings. There needs to be something, some category that's there. It's still super impressive. And shout out to yeah. uh, Madison Bumgarner for uh, for getting that done. Okay, on to the action from uh, the spring game weekend. Uh, let's start with the the big keywords, right? Uh, Danny laid it out beautifully uh, when we were doing one of our spring game weekend look-aheads. He said, what's going to bring me to the table? New coach, quarterback battle. If you've got one or the other, I'm interested. If you've got both, then we're going to be dialed in. And at Texas, as we discussed, it's Casey Thompson and it's Hudson Card. And I'll be curious. So just in terms of the way the the game was lined up, I felt like the the deck was stacked a little bit in Thompson's favor. Thompson had the first team offensive line while Card had the second team offensive line. And Thompson had Bijan Robinson on his team. But the way that both uh, players played and, and sort of my my notes sort of break down with uh, Casey Thompson seemed to get better grades for the first half, Hudson Card getting better grades for the second half, couple big mistakes from Thompson, but one of the big takeaways really seems to be some concern about the playmaking at the wide receiver position and whether or not in this, you know, and I'm running with this part, if we're going to talk about in modern football, how the wide receiver is the glamour position. And if you want to win national championships, you need to be able to overwhelm a defense at the wide receiver position. And Steve Sarkeesian coming off of, you know, things got a little bit thin last year at Alabama. When, when you're trotting out, you know, Slade Bolden out there, much love to the man. But uh, I, I do think that it wasn't quite what he had the year before when you've got Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, Devonta Smith, Jalen Wild. I mean, stupid. Big change in wide receiver talent, and so I, I think that one of we're gonna you know take a look around lots of different places in the country here. But uh, for Texas, I think that you look at the quarterbacks, and you probably say you could feel okay if either one of them ended up with the job. As a fan, you could talk yourself into the idea that if they won the competition, then you know they, you're gonna at least be able to have a chance to go out there and accomplish your goals but if we're talking about the expectations for Texas in the 2020 season unless they start to get some development or unless somebody steps forward at, at wide receiver and on the outside just all-purpose Bijan Robinson can only do too much can only do so much and unless they can get those extra pieces on offense then right now I probably still have them slated in that third spot uh, in the big 12 behind Oklahoma and Iowa State I mean, going to the receiver point, I think it's interesting because you mentioned like all-purpose Bijan. He did finish tied for second on in the spring game with four receptions. So it's like there was only one receiver who caught more passes than him. I didn't, I didn't see all this game. I only saw bits and pieces of it. As far as the receivers go, I was somewhat impressed with Jordan Whittington. I thought he had a good game. Everywhere else across, I, there wasn't really anything that truly stood out to me as something that's, you know, it's that was like a kind of like an eye-popping moment just kind of grabbed my attention. I didn't really see any of that from this receiver group. So I do think that that is still a question mark going into the summer. Uh, at quarterback, 
I thought Card looked pretty good at times. Honestly, I thought he was good. Some of his throws were nice as far as putting the receivers into good spots. I just, I don't, I wasn't super impressed. I think, I think this is still um, Thompson's job for the most part. I still think he, he's still leading the competition based on what I saw. It's just, I think that there's a long way to go between this spring and this fall with, you know, a new coach, new offense, new quarterback, new receivers. It's, it looks like a team that's breaking in a lot of new parts. I agree with that for the most part. I mean, I I got to go back and, and, and check some of it. I, there was some stuff, though, that in this game that I don't think is going to be the same as as the fall, right? So I Josh Point or uh, Josh Pate brought this point up to me earlier. He said, look, how many times did you see motion in the Texas spring game? Like they were running like a very watered-down version of what they're going to run. If, if you look at, at what Alabama did last year, you know, certainly to, to y'all's points about not having, you know, rugs and, and, and Judy and, and Devontae and all those guys. Yeah. But they also aren't running like the exact same stuff yet. And I think that's probably just to put on a, you know, put on a product that people might want to watch. And also it, it takes a little bit longer to install, you know, some of that stuff. But I, I think Texas should be a, a pretty, you know, pretty decent team. I don't have that many huge questions about them. Defensive depth, I think is, is, is definitely one, um, their starters aren't aren't that bad, I don't think. But ultimately, like if they if they suffer injuries, some of the backups out there didn't look too good. So I, I would I'd be a little bit curious about defensive depth. But I think this is a pretty solid team. I'm just kind of high on the Big Twelve this year. Like I'm not sure they're going to be super, uh, you know, making a whole lot of noise in, in this season. I was. Uh... Really bullish on Texas when they hired Sark, and I've been trying to dial it back a little bit because I want you know I want this to work, and I'm like, man, he could come in there and just you know light it up in the Big Twelve. I would agree with Trip Chip though. I think it is Oklahoma, then it goes Iowa State, but like, and Bud probably be the one to answer this. Like, if you had the blue chip ratio, wouldn't Texas have a more talented roster? I know the experience plays into Iowa State. But from a recruiting standpoint, talent-wise, like, and then I'm saying that, I'm like, Brees Hall is the lead returning rusher in the Big 12, but B. John Robinson, man, he pops when you watch him. Right. Like, yeah. it's kind He's of a better player. And, and that's like what I would expect the roster to look like. So if you maximize that, does that all of a sudden elevate them in there? I don't know. Um, I thought it was clear who Andre Ware liked. Like Hudson Card had the one touchdown throw, and he was like, oh, man, he's got some Aaron Rodgers. Like, look at that window. Holy cow, is that tight. And uh, it was a good throw, but I was like, holy cow, it's spring game. Let's settle down, fellas. <laughs> um, I thought they, I thought both quarterbacks, like, showed flashes. I don't think it's settled. I think Casey Thompson, like every coach would, would give the edge to the guy that they've seen do it on the big stage. And Casey Thompson had that opportunity in the Alamo Bowl. But Sark wasn't the head coach then, but he's seen the tape. So I think they'll carry this over. The Casey Thompson did have the pick six that was returned like 90-something yards the other way. Um, but as I thought the defense looked pretty good. Like, But that would be my expectation it's easier for a defense to break in new schemes than it is for an offense. Like when an offense is struggling, it's much more glaring. There's a little, you know, there's just, it's just more evident. A defense can screw up somewhat and, but they just have to go get the ball at some points, you know? So I thought the defense looked pretty good. Um, So I thought it was kind of what I expected. I think the quarterback, I do think Hudson card is probably the more gifted quarterback, 
But Casey Thompson does feel like he's got the experience under his belt, so I understand why he's getting the nod early. But there's some of these, some of these teams, and I know we'll probably talk about Texas A&M. There's some other quarterback battles that are playing out, and I know some of them play out on purpose because you don't want somebody to transfer. Mm-hmm. But I also think there might be some quarterback battles that actually do play out in the first week or two of the season, and you might see somebody start the first snap that the second or third game of the season, you might see somebody else starting by that point to bud to your point. There is a piece of uh, like coming at it and pointing out the, the way that the offense looked with the watered down spring game playbook. Uh, you know, I use the term spring game playbook to describe, you know, not inventive play calling. Um, there is a little bit of using that and take moving forward where you're saying, I trust Steve Sarkeesian. I think that Steve Sarkeesian, I consider him among some of the best, one of the best play callers, one of the best game planners in terms of the work that he does during the week to get an offense ready and install things that are going to take advantage of specific weaknesses in the defense. There's a piece of this with Texas that we were never going to see then, right? Like there, like if you really believe that Sark is one of the best in the game right now, that like at this moment, power ranking play callers, offensive minds, that he is up there near the top, then that's something that you're you're never going to have evidence for until they actually get out there on Saturdays, right? Yeah, one hundred percent. You know, I, I I trust Steve Sarkeesian a lot um, to score points. Much like we're going to talk about him in a minute, I I trust Josh Heupel's teams to score points. Yes. Do I trust Steve Sarkeesian to be a good head coach? Not yet. Hasn't shown me anything yet on, on the head coach front. I think it was probably a solid hire, as we discussed like probably three months ago. It's really hard to grade hires. We, 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 we don't know quite as much as, as we think we know, even as people who literally like get up at 6 a.m. to watch all these spring games today, right? So, you know, it, it's it's tough, but I, I, I agree with you. I, I think they will score points. I think Bajan Robinson is the best back in the league. I I think they're pretty good at linebacker. Like, this is a, a good team. I just think, you know, it may be hard to really break out in this year's Big 12. I agree. Well, uh, you mentioned uh, Texas A&M. As we, as we take a look at another one of these uh, quarterback battles, Haynes King, Zach Calzada, we, we discuss sort of the differences between those two. And it's interesting as we look at Jimbo Fisher and we think about what kind of offense he wants to run with the Aggies because King and Calzada present different skill sets that can lead those off that offense in a couple different directions. Now, that Eli Stowers is, is the future, but I think that I'm coming out of the spring game looking at this as really a King Calzada race and similar to Thompson and card, I think fans might have their pick, but I think that any fan is going to be able to talk themselves into it. Uh, whoever ends up winning this battle. Now this is a Texas A&M roster that as we have mentioned before, uh, man, they have on paper a lot of like coming to fruition, like good recruiting classes that Jimbo Fisher's put together are coming of age. Like this is going to be their moment, but it was awful because there's a disconnect in this spring game because of all the players uh, that were missing from the offense. And it just didn't seem to click in the same way. And this was a a spring game that I was able to focus on the quarterback competition, but I had almost no takeaways from the uh, offense as a whole. You know, defensively, we know that not only is there a very good top line, but also a lot of exciting young prospects here. So uh, what did we think as uh, we look at the Aggies, a team who I think 
across the board, no one looks at last year as a fluke. I mean, that that was a team that absolutely deserved to be uh, among the top teams in the country. You've always got to deal with Alabama. So I, I try to look at them outside of the Alabama shadow and try to look at the individual pieces here. And it just seemed like a lot of the key pieces were on the sideline. And I look at the quarterbacks and uh, I, I guess I would pick King, but I'm, I'm not the coach. I'm not seeing practice or anything like that. Just for folks who, who haven't seen them, um, Calzada, huge arm, right? Like re- really, really toolsy. You know, accuracy has been a bit of an issue uh, just you know, throughout career, but I, I think that's improving. King is a guy who really blew up in the summer circuit before his senior year, was awesome at, at the Elite 11, really, really good athlete. I don't think his arm is quite as good as Calzada's is, but he's able to kind of run around, you know, do more things. I, I'm interested in, in who wins that battle. Uh, but I, I definitely have some concerns for this offense, ultimately. Um, you know, we, we've covered this a couple times now. They're like the least explosive passing offense in the Power Five in the last three years, which is you know Jimbo's entire tenure there. The rest of the sport's getting more explosive around them. A&M's not keeping pace. They're actually backsliding every year. Is this the year they take a step in terms of explosive offense, given that they have to you know, basically replace almost their entire offensive line? They have a new quarterback. I wasn't a huge Kellen Mond guy, but we'll see you know, how good these two guys are. And then receiver, nine drops in the spring game. So not real encouraging when I'm like, man, it's time for them to have some explosive receivers. And I, I do think at times this can be a hard offense to pick up, right? You see guys overperforming this offense when they're really good route runners, kind of the consistent types. And we've seen the dudes who are like athletic freaks kind of struggle. You know, to this point, there's only one receiver, Jimbo Fisher is coach, who's still in the NFL. And his entire, like, you know, he's been a really, really good offense coordinator head coach. And that's Auden Tate on the Bengals. Nobody's coached today and in the league, at least not, not that I could find this morning in a search. Only one guy from FSU. Obviously, LSU was a long time ago. Um, defensively, this, this this team is awesome. Well, what? all right, hold on. One? One. Auden Tate. Rashad Green's out of the league, retired. I, Kelvin Benjamin's gone. Like, nobody else from FSU. Nobody yet from AM. Is Bubba Wilson still out here in these streets? Last year was 2019, it looks like. Oh, my goodness. Hmm. I mean, like, on, on one part, I guess it's because it's been so long since, like, those 2013, 2014, you know, long, you know, NFL, very different, you know, clock in terms of how long your career is going to be. You would think one guy would get to a second contract, though. Right? Mm, anyway, crazy. defensively, I love this squad. They're not going to give up any points, and for that reason, I can't be too down on them. I, uh, I, I thought it was kind of a hard watch. I actually have it up here now. It's in the second half. I you know listened to Jimbo earlier talking about his quarterbacks, managing the game. I just want to see good decisions. Like I don't know. I thought it was a lot of checkdowns, a lot of underneath throws. It looked like the continuity wasn't there. It was just sloppy. Like I didn't think any quarterback looked great, which is why I think Jimbo, after the game, his quote was, everybody's worried about quarterbacks. That's the least thing I'm worried about. I'm not worried about the quarterback. I'm worried about the pieces around the quarterback. We have to play better around them. I think they're making tremendous progress. That to me is some, um, that's some PR work right there to try to take like, that is a, all right, I'm kind of worried about the quarterbacks. I don't want you guys crushing them the whole off season long, but to the same time, he does have a point. Isaiah Spiller wasn't there. He's going to get a heavy dose of this offense early. We know that Jimbo likes to run it. He likes to work the play action pass. Um, the defense looks awesome. So there is something to be said. There is some truth in that. But I wasn't blown away by either quarterback, any of the quarterbacks that played. I just thought it was a sloppy game. Um, but kind of what Bud was saying, like when you have a defense that's as good as they are and as talented they are, they can make things look ugly. 
But I would say I'm a little bit worried that you could see a fan base, which has probably been clamoring, man, I can't, you know, let's get Kelamon. Where's the next guy? Like, Kelamon's too up and down. Like, uh, I could see them maybe wishing they had Kelamon for the first portion of this upcoming season. You know, there's something to be said about experience, stability, you know, just a, a starter that you know what you're going to get versus some young guys where you don't know exactly what you're going to get. Yeah, no, it's I don't have much to add to this other than what you guys have already said, because like I, I think if you're trying to be glass half full, like you were talking about, this defense is going to be good. And hey, spring game showed that the defense is pretty good. And you're just kind of crossing your fingers saying, I hope it's not because the offense was really bad. But the defense did look good because, like you said, Jimbo mentioned it. They dropped nine passes. And it wasn't like they were bad passes for the most part. So I think to kind of Jimbo's point about it's the pieces around my quarterbacks, I'm not worried about the quarterbacks. From what I saw in the game, I didn't think the QBs were making terrible throws. I thought that the receivers were just dropping passes. So I think I'd take that as, you know, maybe just it's spring. You're trying to get your timing down. You're trying to get all this stuff down. And maybe that's impacting and you're, you know, you're missing key guys. So maybe it's 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 not something to worry too much about, but it was. It was like, I think that's for me what kind of really made it difficult to watch because it was hard to get into any kind of groove watching it, just trying to evaluate things where it felt like every other play, drop pass, drop pass, drop pass. It was just throwing the rhythm out of everything. You didn't see guys wide open though, which has yeah. been a consistent thing, right? Like the way this offense creates explosive plays is, is have, like, hit somebody in kind of a tight window and stride and, and go. Like, they're not scheming guys wide open at the expense of other dudes. Um, I agree with Danny's point. They might be missing Kellen Mond, and, and he may be really right on this, but if he's wrong, it's because of how easy Texas A&M's schedule is to start. Like, I fully anticipate this team being 7-1, and one, right? Like, here's their schedule in order. Kent State, Colorado neutral site, New Mexico, Arkansas neutral site, Mississippi State, Alabama, at Missouri, host South Carolina. Like, they get Missouri-South Carolina draw from the East this year, which is quite friendly. You know, I they're going to lose to Alabama. Other than that, you know, I mean, or I think they will. I think they're going to win those other games, or most likely. Like, six and two at worst here, unless they get crushed by injuries. At that point, we're guys, we're into November. I mean, that that's a couple hundred snaps under whoever the quarterback is, like, under his belt. So, I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm fairly confident on this team to not crater. So I, I had also pulled it up because I, I thought that was a very good point. I'm glad you mentioned it. And uh, and I also, because I, I guess I want Texas A&M fans to hate me, uh, you know, not the not the easiest uh, close. You know, they come back from the bye week and their SEC home finale is on November 6th. You know, then you got to gotta go to Ole Miss. That could get dangerous. You go to LSU, see what happens right there. I mean, so starting 7-1, finishing 8-4. It's in the cards, baby. We could see it. That's the way it always has been for Texas A&M, right? I mean, that's kind of been their MO. <laughs> Coming up on the other side, it was the first spring game for Josh Heupel's Tennessee Volunteers. And boy, he put his fingerprints all over that game. We'll get into that and more next The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? 
How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So in Knoxville, I'm going to recite or paraphrase this line from CBSSports.com's David Cobb. He said the spring game might as well have been drawn up by the marketing department because if all you're going to sell to uh, fans that you're trying to get to come and fill Neyland Stadium is excitement, then they were putting on a display. They were going at a ridiculous pace. Uh, they, they were moving the ball through the year. All, all the quarterbacks, you know, whether it was uh, Harrison Bailey, Brian Marr, Hendon Hooker, I mean, it was just like reps, 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 reps. This is a Tennessee team that might score 40 points a game and might give up 45 points a game. I mean, it is just everything about this spring game seemed to indicate uh, what was going to be on display. And when you're coming from the Jeremy Pruitt, the defensive coordinator acting as a head coach, uh, an offense that I think left a lot of Tennessee fans wanting a lot, a lot more then, you know, just to flip it all the way to the other end of the spectrum, I, I think Tennessee fans might sign up for that. So, uh, you know, all of the explosive offense was on full display here in terms of our quarterback battle. Uh, remember, Joe Milton will be joining later uh, in the, I guess he's going to finish up in May. He'll be immediately eligible. So he'll join in the in the offseason and then uh, then come in for fall camp. I guess Harrison Bailey gets the uh, gets the nod in terms of who seemed to play the best, but uh, man, that's uh, th- this Josh Heupel Tennessee team is exactly what I think the best case scenario analysis was of the Josh Heupel hire, where if NCAA violations are going to come down, if all of a sudden it's going to be really really tough to field a team that is going to be competitive, at least be a team that is going to be dangerous and explosive fun to watch and difficult to play against. And, uh, it's there, baby. We've, we are in the hypo era of, of high speed up tempo attack. Um, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm excited for it. I think this adds a fun little wrinkle to the, uh, the sec slate on Saturdays. So like, can Tennessee be the East sold miss? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, I think that right now Ole Miss has better quarterback play. But in terms of like what kind of games we can expect from them on a weekly basis, a hundred percent. It was. I mean, it's. I, I think that if you look at the numbers and just overall play, it's like Harrison Bailey surprisingly did have the best game of the quarterbacks. It's just it's hard to really 
get a great read because they were being moved in and mixed in using playing in different units and playing against different units. Like some of it was against the backup defense. Some of it was against the starters and it kind of all blended together is just having difficulty trying to figure out who they were facing at any given time. But I, I think that, yeah, offensively, I mean, if you're Josh Heupel, you're coming in and you're trying to excite the fan base. I do think that that's kind of what this spring game was. It's like, all right, we got to get people pumped. We got to get people excited. Let's go out and run a whole bunch of plays, put up a whole bunch of points, put up some big plays and get everybody hyped. And then we'll start figuring out more as we get closer to the fall. So I think that's kind of what this spring game was more than anything. They're going to score points. They're going to sell tickets. They won't be good. Yeah. I mean like that, but that that's exactly the reason why you hired Josh Heupel. You anticipated they were going to be bad. Like, you think there's a possibility you get smacked by the NCAA. We don't know that yet. If you end up kind of skating on these NCAA stuff, the buyout's not so crazy that you can't get rid of them, you know, eventually and, and go, go to get somebody who's going to go up there and kill it. Because, like, I don't think that staff's really, you know, going to be an awesome recruiting staff or, or, you know what I mean? Like, there's a reason your coaching search went the way it did. And I think you guys made an excellent hire at Tennessee relative to the restrictions and, and challenges that, uh, that were presenting themselves. They're going to they're score some points and sell some tickets. I think that quarterback room is still pretty wide open. Like I, yeah. I know Bailey played the best, but like I had heard there was a couple different guys looking pretty good there in, in spring, and I, I do think they'll score points. Defensively, the, the one note I will take away here from, from reading our, our stuff on, on GoVols 24-7, which is a really good site, uh, is that the, the guys you write there took special note of Heupel saying they needed to go out and get another defensive line transfer, which they thought was interesting because they were anticipating uh, the defensive line being kind of a strength of the team. Mm. So just – my ears perked up on that. Yeah. And that the offensive line looked good. So you're like, all right. right. Now, a lot of guys were out for them on the defensive right. line, apparently. Right. I, I mean, I would – if – I was trying to find the box score for last uh, like last year's Ole Miss-Alabama game. Like, Tennessee fans should be celebrating, right? If they lost – would they give up 59 points, Ole Miss's defense? But they scored like 42, I think. And they put up monster numbers. I don't know. I think that's the best case scenario for Tennessee. Like, I, I think you have to consider they were lighting up their own defense in this game. They're going to be playing against better defenses. I hope it happens. I think it could happen, but I'm a little bit still worried because you look at Elijah Moore, who led the country in receiving, it's going to be a first round pick. You look at Matt Corral, like, there's some talent on Ole Miss's offense. I don't know if Tennessee has that talent on offense. We'll see. I think it'll be style, Danny. Yes. Oh, oh, no doubt. Style, but (laughs) the style helps. It helps to have talent to run that style. You know what I mean? Like, so I think the best case scenario is that they make the season entertaining by putting up some offensive numbers. I think they're going to be bad. And I think it's just going to be interesting to see, do Tennessee fans accept it and kind of reset their expectations? Or are they going to be calling for Heupel's head after the season? Because nothing would surprise me from this fan base. I could still see him making a bowl, though. I mean, South Alabama, you know, Vandy. Oh, yeah. Like you get South Carolina at home, you get Bowling Green, you get Tennessee Tech. It's not so crazy to think that you get one of Kentucky or you know Missouri or South Carolina. The uh, so Alabama obviously has moved into the new era where you know they're more than ha- they are not uncomfortable playing in those kinds of games. Kentucky Kentucky's not used to playing that way. Like I I, I don't think Shane Beamer's I don't know what Shane Beamer's South Carolina is going to look like, but I 
that there's a couple of spots on the schedule uh, where or in, in the division, especially where it, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, if if they can. Like if if Tennessee get, jumps out to a, a big lead and a team that's not used to to playing like that, all of a sudden has to score quick. That's. I, I think Shane Beamer spent enough time at Oklahoma and in the Big Twelve that he won't be uncomfortable. Too yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> great, great segue. The Oklahoma Sooners. Look, we we're, we're going to make them one of the big storylines uh, in when it comes to national championship contention. When it comes to the college football playoff, because they looked so much better at the end of last season than they did at the beginning of the season, and it's uh, Spencer Rattler coming back. Where you know <laughs> we're already doing the the next mock drafts and like Spencer Rattler, right? That's got to be right near the top of your quarterback conversation when we talk about the twenty twenty two draft. And so he'll have a huge spotlight on him. And, man, it was exciting because there has been, from Bud Elliott, from Barton Simmons, from from especially the, the 24-7 uh, sort of corner, I feel like a lot of, uh, a lot of investment into Jaden Hazelwood, right? That is like, this guy is going to be a dude. This, like, this lot of excitement, he flashed in this game and it's exciting to think about uh you know what he's going to be along with the rest of that wide receiver room bud has detailed a lot of that talent that also at the skill positions for oklahoma i think that tennessee transfer eric gray is going to be a great addition to that running back room not just as a no another piece remember kennedy brooks after opting out he's going to be back in the fold i believe brooks missed this spring game but uh, I know has been out for a little bit of time. But the thing that's exciting about Gray isn't just him as a running back, but Gray's a really good receiver out of the backfield as well. You can flex him out into the slot. Very versatile piece right there. So for the Sooners, uh, I, I don't have um, a ton of concerns in, in my notepad coming off the spring game. Instead, it is more of the positives where it felt like uh, things that we had been reading about, things we had been hearing about throughout spring practice, some of it was coming to fruition uh, on this stage. Well, in the same vein as the argument over Madison Bumgarner's no-hitter, let's stir up some controversy. Quarterback controversy in, in Norman? <laughs> Caleb Williams looked Looks really good. <laughs> good. Spencer Rattler, kind of average. I'm just saying. The five Can we get star some odds on Caleb Williams for Heisman. Let's go right now. I mean, yeah. but that's uh that's a good thing, right? The, if your five yeah. star true freshman coming out of DC is looking like he's going to be the truth too, and he gets to spend a year while you know Spencer Rattler is what likely going to be a Heisman finalist minimum, just based just based exclusively on being a Lincoln Riley quarterback in that Oklahoma offense with those weapons, he's going to have the kind of production that will be undeniable to be considered among the. Top top players in the entire country. And then, you know, after, after one year of seeing it, then Caleb Williams gets to take over. I mean, good job by Lincoln and that staff stocking up, not just to be able to have a team that can win a national title now, but team that looks like it ain't going anywhere. That's for sure. I'm pretty high on this team, guys. I, I, I don't think there's a lot of, a lot of programs in the big 12 that can cover these guys. I've always liked Jaden Hazelwood. I, I just, I like receivers that go hard, you know, even in drills that, that aren't being filmed, you know, even when it's not one-on-ones, I think he really has, has great hands, comes down with the ball well. They also just got the kid from Arkansas uh, who, who transferred literally after Arkansas spring game. Yeah, M- Mario Williams looked really good, uh, a four-star receiver out of uh, Plant City down here in Florida who's also a pretty good center field prospect. Um, I think 
a noticeable improvement for this team that you saw was the defensive line and linebacker groups, I, I think, are, are taking a, a real step forward. Now, I still think there's some concerns about the secondary, particularly with the depth. I don't know that they, that they have – like, if they start losing guys, we could say, damn, how is Oklahoma getting dunked on? It's because, you know, teams are able to throw on them. You know, but their biggest challenger in, in the, uh, the Big 12 doesn't really have many threats on the outside, right? Iowa State is primarily, you know, tight ends and backs, and they, they do it their way. I feel, like, I feel like Oklahoma is well positioned to uh, to play them this year, and uh, I just think they're going to score, score a ton of points, man. It's going to be very difficult. This is like a fifty point per game offense. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> but that's something they've had before. That's why I think the defense is the story here. We know we're going to get this. We can get excited about Caleb Williams. We know their quarterback is going to be solid. But what does the defense look like? I was talking to Dusty Voracek. I worked the show with him this morning on the radio, and he actually called the game, so he was there. So I was asking him about it, and he was saying that he's noticed, and I think this is something that Lincoln Riley, I'm sure, has addressed. We can all talk about Alex Grinch and what he's meant from a defensive coordinator position, but it is about upgrading the talent to where you start to look like Ohio State, Bama, Clemson. And he said for the first time he's seen in a while in person, the defensive side of the ball is starting to look bigger at the defensive line position, longer at the secondary and defensive back positions so that they can contend with those teams they want to beat, you know, to get that first playoff win. So I I think I'm really high on this team too. I think they do get their first playoff win. I think it's just a matter of the surroundings of what happens at the top, you know, what happens at Bama at quarterback? Does that hold them back? What happens at Clemson at quarterback? Like, I think this could be a special year for Oklahoma too, though. Is that's just something that has to happen slowly. I mean, just like, there's no, there's no easy quick fix. I mean, even for a team, a program like Oklahoma, that's gone to the transfer portal a lot. You're just, you're strength and conditioning. You could make some changes there, but that's going to take some time to be able to show up on the field. The, you know, for all the hand wringing that we've done about Oklahoma defensively at times, I, I wonder if Lincoln Riley's in the back of he- his head, always known that this is where he wants to be. Right? That ever since, ever since he put his big boy pants on and fired Bob's brother middle of the season and said, "Hey, like we, we, we can't have this. Like we we got to make some changes around here." Uh, I wonder if he, or maybe it came after a couple of those college football playoff losses where you know he just said, "Like, look." We, I, I can look at their team on tape and know that we are not there yet. Uh, I, I mean, this is special stuff from a, a still very, very young head coach in the game. You know where it can happen Dude. quicker? The transfer portal. I mm-hmm. mean, Key Lawrence, another play from Tennessee, who comes in. He's a longer, you know, former four-star, six-foot-one secondary player who's what they need to start looking like the – I mean, so – you talk about the transfer portal. It is an advantage that you can you you can use you can utilize the transfer portal to address some of those issues. That's why as much as people think, oh, this could be good, bring parity. I'm starting to look at it, saying, man, this truly is you know the name, image, and likeness is going to make the rich get richer. But so is the transfer portal because they're going to be finely tuning their roster, looking at weaknesses like that we're talking about, saying, all right, let's go find the best one who's ready to come play right away, as opposed to the ways you're doing, Chip, which are ways you had to do it five years ago, strength coach, build them up, recruit. Now you get you can bring in guys more ready-made. Don't you think that Lincoln Riley wanted to get rid of Mike Stoops, like, immediately? 
but he probably just couldn't do it because the guy who who held on long enough to retire and then basically gift him the job in the offseason, it's his brother. Like, there's no way that, that Lincoln Riley sat in those practices when he was the offensive coordinator torching Mike Stoops right. saying, this is the guy I want. If I ever get to take over this job, man, I'm keeping this dude, right? Like, look, look at the awesome adjustment. No, of course not. I just think he had to wait it out a little bit because, like, like the – you, you can't immediately fire the brother of the guy that just gifted you the Oklahoma job. Like that's not going to work. There's, I think it started much earlier. He, he had to know that Mike Stoops was, was going to be out as soon as he had a chance. It was, he was yeah. on double secret probation. And after they got shredded I, like by Texas or something, he's like, all right, that's it. That's all I needed. Yeah. Like there's no way just all right, guys, these 16 games have convinced me. All right. Now, now that I'm like, come on. Was there, was there a part of him that was like, well, maybe Mark will take him. Like maybe he's gonna want to go coach under his brother. Maybe he'll just leave on his own, and I won't have to fire. Mark said, "Mm -mm." (laughs) "I grew up with him. You can have him." Uh, (laughs) uh, Other action included uh, North Carolina, uh, West Virginia, Georgia Tech, Michigan State, Ole Miss, and uh, and Washington State in year two with uh, Nick Rolovich. What uh, what stood out across the country to y'all? Chip, you guys got some defensive linemen. Mm Hmm. Like talking about the Tar Heels stops. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, you guys got some defensive linemen there, man. I'm, I'm excited about that. Those linebackers are flying around. Josh Downs looks like he's still playing seven on just torching everybody. I'm, I think North Carolina's be pretty damn good. It was offensive a line. Maybe a little bit like not quite as good as I thought they'd be. Is that an area of concern for you? So the personnel is not an area of concern because when they were really getting it rolling, it was for the most part those guys like it's bringing back a unit that has played well um that it was a weird sloppy day you know it was it was kind of rainy it was a little bit off the defensive line is very very good and i think that one of the underrated strengths of the team i i just said man like man drake may is going to make charlotte bros so obnoxious they're going to be so excited to claim him at all the uh, sweet uptown bars. I mean, he's a Myers Park kid too, so that means that a lot of people can claim him. Big old public school in uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. But you know, for, former did he end up being a five star by the time he uh, signing day came? I know he was fringe four or five star, and the fact that I Myers Park was. did not play uh, a fall season sort of you know changed the adjustment, like for many players across the country, but. Drake May is going to be exciting. I mean, shocker, blue chip quarterbacks are going to be really good. And uh, and Sam Howell handed it off to Drake May when Sam Howell decides to uh, take his talents to the NFL draft. That's uh, Max done a good job. He's, he's st- stocking up at the right positions. I think like equally as important as the top level talent on the defensive line is that you had more than just two names making plays. And last year, like when, when Vohasek went down, the, the nose guard was like, mm. all right, I've listened to the Inside Carolina podcast for long enough. I know they don't have a damn thing behind him that's ready to roll. So when, when, when he's out, uh, they could be in real trouble. And they were at times when, when, when he was out. Now they got a couple guys who are making plays behind him. This is The recruiting is starting to show up for the Tar Heels. What about y'all? Anything stand out? Uh, I was, well, a couple things. One, I was, I was doing some, you know, I didn't see any of the Ole Miss game, and I know we talked about it a little bit earlier, but I was I was doing some research last night and this morning to, to prep for the show, see if there's anything to take away. And I was very much amused by, like, I Googled, you know, like Ole Miss spring game takeaways, all that kind of stuff. And every single time I did, like, the top four or five results for every single one of them basically was saying, Ole Miss offense dominates spring game. 
<laughs> and I'm just, and it's like, well, yeah, that's exactly what Lane Kiffin wants. Lane Kiffin approaches regular season games as if they're spring games. He just wants to show off his offenses. But so I, I see Old Miss is, you know, very much on par and on pace to have a, a, a good season. And the other one I think that I took away, because you know me, I got to watch a Big Ten spring game at some point. I watched Michigan State's. Mel Tucker's first spring game with the Spartans. They were missing a lot of players, but the one thing I think stood out to me was that Peyton Thorne, who is the guy that had been there, he's a redshirt sophomore. He was getting most of the first team reps over Anthony Russo, who transferred into from Temple. And honestly, I think he just looked better than Russo. And, I, and he's a kid. He's from a, he's from Naperville here. It's a suburb of Chicago from Naperville Central. It's a pretty decent high school football program. He looked good. And I think that based on what I saw in the spring game, I wouldn't be shocked if he's the starter come the fall. Mm-hmm. Tom, I, Ole Miss did have like eight sacks, by the way. Did so, I mean that like that. I don't know who they were against. I didn't actually get to watch the game, but like I, I saw some tweets about that. Yeah, but so maybe spring game sacks yeah. though. Yeah, it's like you just get if you get within five feet of the QB, it's who blow the whistle. It's true. true. So sorry, That's dude. Why it's hard to get in on these spring games. Some of them, man. Yes. I, I, maybe I'm just delu- maybe I'm down because the Texas A&M game, which now has Johnny Manziel at halftime and like some seven on seven pickup game. I was actually one of those guys at Florida state. They had like the old timers come back and play the spring. I was like, this is embarrassing. <laughs> just like, like, what are we doing out here? Um, uh, to, uh, Talia Tongavaloa, impressive for Maryland mm-hmm. 35 of 47 for 353 um i was just looking at some of the highlights like some of the names that might jump off to you although it still says he's in a quarterback competition i did see michigan state was running some tempo so that that was interesting that they're going up tempo um i don't know there was just a couple of the ones that i saw storylines that kind of jumped out so um jared guarantano threw one yeah, pass Hit his hand on an offensive lineman's head on that one oh, pass. No. Oh no! Threw an interception and left the game with a hand injury. But the the real the real Jarrett Guarantano gift that I have for you is the quote from the player who made the interception on his zero for one one interception performance in the spring game. Justice Rogers, uh, senior linebacker for Washington State, said it was an exciting play for me. Oh, and it was the first play of the spring game. It was an exciting play for me, especially on the first play, Rogers said. I dropped to my landmark, read the quarterback's eyes, melted flat, and the ball came to me, and I made the catch. Oh, no. So I wish nothing but full health and recovery for Jared Garantano. (laughs) But if we're going to say that Charlie Brewer – Went 15 for 15 in the spring game, and that's why I'm picking Utah as your dark horse college football playoff contender. Put me in as a hard fade on Jarrett Garantano as Washington State's quarterback after 0 for 1, 1 interception. I think that's a 0.0 on the uh, quarterback rating. So uh, not And Cameron Cooper, who is uh, the other one, did not, uh, did not according to uh, reports, did not do a lot to uh, inspire confidence as well. So... Uh, the Jared Garantano oh, yeah. era continues. <laughs> I think he'll be all right. Uh, Nick Rolovich did say that he thought he would be okay. Uh, so that's exciting. Uh, here's what we've got coming up for you. So make sure that you're subscribed wherever you download your podcast. We're going to be giving you an NFL draft preview. It is the us getting a chance to weigh in as we count down to the start of the NFL draft on Thursday. 
all of the um, all of the ways that the NFL people got it wrong. You know, we've we've got the goods, and so you want to make sure that you check that out. Additionally, Thursday night, an instant reaction show, and then a full recap on Monday. CBS Sports HQ is your home all NFL Draft week. You can stream it live. It's always on NFL Draft analysis, deep dives, your favorite team. It's all there. You can do it cbssports.com or through the CBS Sports app on your phone or connected device. You can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.